I am here with Janelle Bernardo. She is a New Orleans native, very creative person, um, but she's working on a, this tremendous Treme Festival. So we're going to talk about both the Treme Festival and Janelle and her um, career developments. Um, let's let's talk about Treme first. Okay. So, tell me about it. So the Treme Fall Festival, the Treme Fall Festival is brought to us by the Friends of the Treme Culture. And this year they are hosting their seventh annual Treme Fall Festival. And this festival is the comeback. You know, the last two years they've been idle due to, you know, we know why for, from the pandemic. Yeah, and um, they're coming back with, you know, a lot of excitement, a lot of great acts. And they are also honoring this year, the Andrews family of Treme. So we're talking James Andrews, Troy Trombone Shorty Andrews. Treme royalty. Treme royalty. And so this year, they're really excited to, you know, celebrate that honor to, to them. Um, and as well as benefit the, um, the St. Augustine Church um, and other um, cultural um, entities within Treme. So it's really exciting. They're starting, they're kicking it off with a, uh, a patron festival and then following up the following weekend with the outdoor festival. So it's really exciting and we're all gearing for it. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about the program, exactly what the elements of it are. And where, where is it being held? Is it being held by St. Augustus? Yes, in the St. Augustine's ground. So what's leading up to it is that they're going to have a, a, a second line in the morning of October 22nd at 10 a.m. And it's going to start opposite on the other side of the neutral ground from Little Dizzy's. And it's going to lead all the way to St. Augustine uh, Catholic Church and their grounds. And that begins at 11 a.m. But different acts from, you know, of course, James Andrews, the Andrews Brass Band, Erica Falls, um, Lil Freddie King, Shaka Zulu is going to be there with his stilt walkers. So it's going to be really exciting. Lots of different attractions, um, even a kid's tent. So it's a good thing to bring out the family. And we're hoping that the weather is going to be really nice, too. Well, October. I mean, you can't pick a better month of the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and what about food? Oh, food is going to be in abundance. Uh, of course, Little Dizzy, but other um, vendors that are coming through are going to be there as well. We're talking, you know, oysters. We're talking great food. We're talking um, different specialties, pasta dishes, seafood dishes from all different types of vendors. And, and I um, haven't had breakfast. I know, me either. <laughs> so it's going to be really great. And then uh, lots of vendors, arts and crafts. We're going to be celebrating different people, different cultures, of course. And then, you know, you're going to see your your skulls and bones you're going to see um the baby dolls you're going to see all different you know things that make up the best of Treme culture so it's going to yeah, be it sounds fabulous mm -hmm. yeah yeah but before the outdoor festival is the patron party and that is going to be held at the new orleans jazz museum and that is where we're going to be honoring specifically the andrews family the royal as you mentioned andrews family um so a lot of live performances from them um tickets are on sale they are 150 dollars, but that comes with a lot of great things um it's dinner buffet also an open bar and a lot of great music and just a lot of great what i think to be a good opportunity for you know people to just get back out there you know especially our millennials who's looking to crack into that, that sealed wall of you know what has been existed for years for patient parties to just be of a different 
generation, a more experienced generation in that culture. So I think what we're doing now this year is, is we are attracting a younger demographic, the millennials, because truly and honestly, those, those are the people that are going to preserve that culture. Those are the people who are going to care about that culture, to pass it on, and to really make sure that it sticks in our minds forever, especially as we consider New Orleans and we speak about New Orleans. So I have this is their first year. The Treme Fall Festival is their first year being on social media. So I've had the honor to represent them in terms of their social media marketing and making sure that they are attracting that that really great demographic. So that's interesting. So I didn't realize they never did social media before. Have not. Um, and it's just something that they haven't gotten into. They've done more traditional ad placements, um, more, you know, just going on radio shows and doing um, um, things like this, the usual yeah. marketing and spreading the word. But right now, I think that I think it's important for us to be on social media and every element, ones in which that best, you know, increase the brand development and engagement. So I really wanted to make sure that we're tapping into that demographic through social media um, and to make sure that it is um, being heard and reached across the masses. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting because um, I feel like, not that they've been left out because they don't feel left out, they are in their own world. Right. But I think there's a lack of an intergenerational connection. Mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of attitude between the generations. I think they think of older generation as dinosaurs, and they're right. But and and then and then we think of them as oh millennials. <laughs> really, we have so much to offer each other. Yes. So something that brings folks together, I think, is um is, is something that really needs to be built on. Absolutely. I mean, it's very important. Um, uh, and you know what? It would really help address the horrible political standoff nationally, where I think that, again, I don't think we understand how to talk with each other in order to open up a dialogue with people, you know, that may be on the other end of the political pole. And I think Kansas was a, such a good example of how it can happen. The Kansas election where women reached other women, pro-abortion reached pro-lifers through the theme of women's freedom. Mm -hmm. they, just, they just said, let's not, we don't have to talk about abortion. Let's just talk about your right to deal with your body, right? And I think that um, understanding that kind of messaging is so critical for us right now because uh, for obvious political reasons, but just in general, we're not benefiting from each other's um, skills and, and awareness of the world. The awareness of the millennials is very different yes. from people who are used to the virtual, let's say, not virtual, the real, the real world. Right. So, um, I think that's really interesting. Uh, is there anything you're going to actually do at the event that will kind of more deliberately promote that connection? I think the beginning is a social media. I think that we've gathered a large audience there um, and I've reached all different demographics. And the best thing about social media is that it tells you all those numbers live. It tells you all of those things and you know it helps you to understand exactly who you're reaching. And I've seen that we've reached upwards from you know 75 and up all the way down to 25, you know? So we we are definitely doing our due diligence and making sure that that happens and making sure that we are aligning, 
you know, all those generations for multiple purposes. I think about Jean, I think about my mother and her family. My mother is a seventh ward New Orleans, true and true in her family as well. My great grandmother is Creole, Creole, Creole. And, and so when my mother would bring us over to visit my great grandmother, they would speak to each other all the time in Louisiana French Creole. And I would always, oh I would always ask my mother to teach me the language, but she kept it to herself because they said, oh, this is our way of connecting and talking to each other appropriately enough in front of children and not knowing, you know, they don't know what we're saying and things like that. And so I think that that was, you know, a disservice to us yeah. both because I just I feel like I but, wish I would have known that language. Yeah, that I happened in my family too. I mean, my, yeah. my, mother, my mother's sisters, they were all Czech. And when right. we would get together, they would do exactly that. They would be mm -hmm. able to talk to each other. And, and the only things I learned uh, in Czech were each spots, go to bed, and <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and uh, yes. my name, Jinka, was my yes. name. So yes. yeah, it's, it's a it's a missed you, opportunity. You, it really is. It definitely was a missed opportunity. And I mean, I don't want that to happen for Treme. And that is the mindset that I'm bringing to that. This is that, you know, we want to make sure that everyone understands this culture so that it can be passed on, so that it can be, you know, remembered and revered as the birthplace of jazz, you know, the birthplace of multiple different reasons of, of what is still extended into African-American culture nationally. So I, I want that to be understood. There's other, there's another issue, and I don't know how, how aware you are uh, uh, of it since you've been, in, I, I forget how long you've been in Houston. But 10 you know, years. Huh? 10 years. 10? Oh my Ten. God. Oh, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure you know anyway that there's been so much gentrification and so there is a, I don't know what the numbers are, you probably know better than I do, of white people who have moved into Gentilly, uh, I mean into, um, into Treme and so the demographics have really changed. Have you looked at that? Do you know what it is? I haven't, but in terms of, you know, what I can assume it to be, I see it. I see it here see in it. Houston. I see it here. And um, I even, I've even just got, I've just gotten back from New York. I noticed it in New York, definitely. And I know that you know that as well. So, I mean, I think that it happens a lot everywhere, but, you know, I think that i putting forth our best effort, even as I can speak from, you know, a millennial generation, I am a millennial, putting forth our best effort to make sure that, you know, things are carried out traditionally and things are revered and, and preserved is our, our, like I said, our best effort. So, but I think there's also, just as there's a, that need to promote the intergenerational mm -hmm. uh, 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 relationship, I think there's also um, there's, there's some, you know, resentment and animosity in between the races around this gentrification issue. So somehow, again, promoting, um, finding the, the, finding the points of agreement, right? That's what we keep talking about with all the different politics in, in the country is finding the points of agreement. And one of those points of agreement is why do you want to be in Treme? Culture, architecture, you know, like it's a neighborhood, it's a very distinct neighborhood and so on. So um, it sounds like the festival is really addressing that. I want to talk to you about social media for a minute because, you know, we all have to do it. Yeah. And, and we do it at very, at very different levels. 
So some of us just make sure that we put something on Instagram and something on Facebook, and that's about as much as we need to do, that we knew how to do. But I think there's a lot more innovative strategies that are developing. And uh, I get the impression that that's part of what your company, Hot Buttered Soul, does. So yes. tell me a little bit about, um, just give me either some anecdotal information or just kind of some strategic information about, you know, how you go about approaching a social media that is advanced over what us, you know, who barely have a clue what how to do it, uh, what we do. Absolutely. So Hot Butter Soul, we are a creative agency and we focus on the best representation for minority and multicultural small businesses. Also, the inverse of that, we help non-minority owned businesses in their representation as they reach these communities and cultures as well. So we like to have everyone. We like to make sure that we're ultimately telling a story. And that's pretty much the gist of social media is making sure that you're telling a story to uh, sustain the engagement of your audience. And what we love to do is we love to best understand the business, the soul of the business. So that way we are telling the story. We are also doing things and serving in certain elements that is not so self-serving. Whereas we are knowing our audience, we're um, going after them, and then we're feeding them information that will keep them around to follow. So it's not just about posting about, hey, I'm promoting this, I'm promoting that I'm promoting this, but it's also feeding into that audience to give them reason to want to stay on your page and want to be engaged with your uh, with your reach and your community. So overall, it's about converting community. So so that's very interesting. But help me understand this a little bit more concretely. Give me an example. Give me an anecdote. Sure. It could be about your Treme Festival and sure. exactly the way you're telling that story. Absolutely. So, of course, we we come Especially to that follow up part. That's what I'm, I'm curious about. OK, so absolutely. So we come to the point where we want to be able to tell this story. So it's about strategic development, as you mentioned, and that's very important. So we, we approach things with strategy. We understand what we're doing, how we're doing it and what are the means is going to best promote what we want to sell and what we want to tell the story of. And so what we do is we sit down and we write out all of the ideas. We understand the business, the festival, Treme Festival, as much as possible. We understand what their missions are. We understand why they're approaching things. And then this year for the Treme Fall Festival, we actually looked at their brand representation, their colors, their logos, their, you know, their artistry to best make sure that is everything aligning, is everything in sync, is everything um, making, is everything consistent. And so we took that brands and we actually tweaked it a lot this year this is the first time they've had a full consistent brand and so what that does is that just makes our job easier we make sure that we are able to identify what the guidelines are in terms of the brand as it as it appeals to a visual sense and then we then take that concept and then we plant it over to social media we want to make sure that as people are scrolling because people scroll they just scroll and scroll and scroll we want want to give them that same, we want to plant that idea in their mind. Okay, these colors, these representations, even this voice, even though it's not literally a voice, 
all of those things are reminiscent of why the reason I followed that page. And so, you know, even though that is subconscious, people are scrolling and then they will stop at things that they recognize. So if you are able to follow a brand, people are able to kind of inject that in their minds and then they follow it more and then they will be more um, attracted to it because they remember it. So it's and all about- kind of engaged. I would use yeah. the word engaged, right? Yes. Just hearing, but actually uh, being uh, responsive and, and engaged in it. Well, that's really interesting. And um, another thing I'm curious about, so there you are in Houston. Houston has got to be, percentage-wise of our visitation in New Orleans, a high percentage. In other words, a high percentage of people from Houston are going to come and visit New Orleans. Um, so uh, I'm assuming that that's part of your strategy also is to literally make your Houston community aware of what's going on in New Orleans. So tell me a little bit about that. So for the Treme Fall Festival, I'm not you know, I, my outreach is not of in Houston. My outreach is all of in New Orleans. And even though I'm doing everything remotely, um, everything is catered to that demographic so that, you know, it makes sense that way. It makes sense to make sure that I'm getting things out in that community uh, and then the all the different areas that are surrounding that community. So we do that intentionally. Um, when we do set up the search engine optimization um, with the website development, we do make sure that it does cater to or does connect with different cities, people that potentially, as you mentioned, would travel to uh, uh, New Orleans for the Treme Fall Festival, but by way that they've learned of the information on social media. So we do things de um, demographically. We set up things demographically so that people are aware, but mostly all of the reach that we are um, obtaining is mostly in New Orleans. You know, it just occurs to me, I, I can't resist asking this. Um, so in addition to doing this as a uh, creative agency and as a service on a contract basis with the company, do you ever do sort of tutoring of people to kind of help people be able to do more themselves? Absolutely. And I really love for my clients to be self-sufficient in a lot of their work because we've been getting in a lot of different clients and it's just easier for um, the client to be able to have things in place that make sure that they um, can, you know, just carry on and carry on forward. Now we give them the option to maintain their, their social media presence um, and engagement, of course, but my focus is always to make sure that they're self-sufficient. Um, so in providing the strategic plan, which is literally a guideline, a book, a, a directory of how and when, and it, everything is described there of how to approach your social media, we create that for them. And then in also creating the brand guideline for them as well, they're able to navigate through, okay, or even to able to understand this is exactly what we want to place here and how we want to place it and how it should be placed. And so it really works better for them if we are able to create those two things first, the brand development and the um, strategic planning in any sense, because it could be a strategic plan for a marketing campaign that is beyond social media. It can be a strategic plan for an event. It can be a strategic plan for anything. Everything deserves a strategy, right? So if we're able to create that guideline for them, they're able to execute. And if they need the implementation help, that's something that we also offer. But first and foremost, we love them to be self-sufficient. What 
other kind of clients do you work with? Oh my goodness. So I, as I mentioned, I just traveled from New York. I'm working with Columbia Business School and with their internal marketing for their students. And we've done a lot of work for them, especially over the past semester. Um, marketing with students. For the students, I mean, so their students. Okay. Mm -hmm. So all their students and they, they, those business schools, there's so many different events, so so many different things that are happening. And so when they want to grab the student's attention for things that include the whole student body, it's oh, all through social media, it's all through website development. But there's so many things that are always going on that it's just better for them to have things, as I mentioned, branded so that they can understand in their mind that okay this goes with this and this goes with that so every time that they have something different we're there and we're ready to help them um, to develop their their marketing structure and the way that they visually appeal to their students okay and so Columbia is really great but also I you know I think that my focus is, you know, I've serviced a lot of different companies all over the country, but I think my most focus is just bringing it back home. And, you know, as you mentioned, I, I am a native New Orleanian and being able to, you know, learn from my many different experiences um, and, you know, my travels and things like that. And to just bring it back home is just a blessing. And I like to work with people like the Tremaine Fall Festival, but I also work with um, Swanson Insurance Agents see there are another one of my clients and we manage their social media and I really want to tell you about theirs because it's really great um, they have a great page that is definitely self-serving the feed of it is self-serving which is the front of it right so when you go to their profile you'll see that their brand is there but in their stories which is a sub part of their profile in their stories is daily life hacks so a continuation of different life tips, life hacks. So tips and trades and all different types of things that keeps the engagement flowing because people are always gonna wanna know, hey, what's the next life hack? What else can I learn from this page? What else can I learn from this insurance agency? And we post lots of different things every day, every day, Sunday to Sunday. And we we make sure that people are, you know, they're, they're in the know about what are they learning. I mean, TikTok is a huge um, platform for sharing tips and sharing hacks and sharing lifestyles. But TikTok is not necessarily an audience for an insurance agency so we brought that same element over to Instagram and we were able to uh, retain engagement so over there so things like that are what we do strategically to make sure that you know we are serving the right purpose and it's not just about posting but it's more about building community oh it's fascinating it really is perfect out cue uh, especially since we're way over time and um, I, I really uh, enjoyed hearing what you're up to. Let's give the Treme details one more time. And, and then when I shut off the uh, camera, I want to talk uh, a little bit of business for just a minute. Go ahead. Great. Great. So again, the Treme Fall Festival, seventh annual, the patron party will be held October the 13th at the Jazz NOLA Jazz Museum, New Orleans Jazz Museum, and it'll be held from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Tickets are on sale at tremayfest.org, and they are $150.
but I think there's a few promo codes floating around. So if you pay attention to social media, you'll definitely find one, a definitely a discount code. Well, let me just ask you on, on that uh, note for just a minute, uh, do you, or would you be willing to consider um, uh, promote, uh, doing maybe just one or two tickets that we would um, uh, push online, push on the radio show? Sure, give I'll away, do it. Give away yeah. a couple tickets. Yes, yes. I shouldn't have asked that. you that on the air, but anyway, that's okay. I have I have a few in my pocket, so I'm I'm happy to do that. <laughs> All right, I'm happy well, to well, do let's that. work on that. Jamie was going to follow up on that. All right, well, um, this has been terrific, Janelle. I'm just knocked out, blown away, and love. Uh, I, I just love the name of your company. Oh, explain Hot Buttered Soul, where it came from. You were telling me off uh, off the air what it was. Yes, Hot Buttered Soul is the name of the album by Isaac Hayes that came out in 1969. My parents played it all the time, especially during our trips from New Orleans to Destin. And so as kids, we, we didn't love it, but now as an adult, I appreciate it so much because of its creativity and its symphonic soul. So I wanted to bring soul into my business as we represent um, uh, the, the soul of small businesses. And I wanted to butter it and make it hot and serve it to the world. So that's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, uh, lost a lot to you. Um, hope Treme Festival is absolutely smashing success. Um, I think Treme is one of the most important neighborhoods in, on the globe and we have to do everything we can to um, support it. So I'm glad that you're working on it and um, look forward to, I'll try to make it. I haven't been getting out a lot and right now I'm dealing with you know, family health issues. So um, it's tricky, but uh, I'll try to get there. All right, Janelle Vernado, Hot Father's Soul and the Treme Festival. understanding of what's going on in the nursing world right now because um, my husband happens to be in a, a skilled nursing facility right now because of an accident that he just had. Um, so I had to go to the experts <laughs> and, and get some input. So um, I have one on the line and I'm going to let her introduce herself uh, so that we have a good picture of um, who is um, giving us a, a, a handle on um, kind of what's happening in the nursing world and the, and, and the public and public health and, and, and health world in general. Um, so go ahead. Uh, certainly. Hi. Uh, well, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about what your husband experienced. And uh, yeah. my name's e, my name's Dr. Ekoi Rooney. I am the president of Louisiana State Nurses Association, and we are the organization of registered nurses. In the state, we are a part of the American Nurses Association. Um, so when we, you know, when I, I heard about what had happened uh, with your husband and, and that you had concerns about his care, um, 
you know, I think I thought of several things. The first is that uh, home health agencies are, you know, have their own association, and that would probably be the best expert for you to talk to is someone from the Louisiana Home Care Agency. Well, he's home not care in home care, though. He, he's institutional. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not home care. Uh, um, Long-term care organization. Yeah, there's an association for specifically for long-term care, and so for registered nurses, generally their position in um, in long-term care facilities or skilled nursing facilities is sometimes they they are doing direct patient care. Sometimes they are usually in administrative roles, and they have licensed practical nurses providing care along with a people who are in um, ancillary positions, like nurses' aides. Uh, uh -huh. As far as what's happening in nursing, so really not understanding the, the mix of who took care of your patient or what were the issues that, of your husband, not knowing the things that you saw, um, I think that just to say, I think there are a lot of different positions in healthcare there where there are shortages nationally i mean everything from scrub techs to nurses and the shortage is caused by a number of things one is that the nursing population was already planning anticipating a nursing shortage because a lot of nurses were aging out of the profession so that's so, even before that's that's separate and apart from the pandemic pressure that was put on so you're saying yeah. that uh, there already was a, a shortage impending because of um, a lot of nurses, um, as you said, aging out. That's correct. And uh, so I would say then beyond that, I think that the the pandemic certainly, you know, took its toll on healthcare workers. But I think some of the things that happened is that because of the demand for nurses, there were a lot of competing factors in agency organizations, you know, trying to get nurses to staff on a contract basis or. Uh, and they do seem to be in the facility that he's in right now, they do seem to be quite a few um, contractors. I've been asking the, the nurses that and nurses aides that come into his room, you know, if they are staff or contract. And I'd say more were contract than staff. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think that can be problematic for a lot of organizations that you're hiring temporary staff, they don't know the culture, they don't share the vision or the values necessarily of the parent organization that employs the nurses or the healthcare staff to take care of their patients. So I think that's one area that, that can be problematic. It's, you know, there are some excellent agency nurses and there are some, you know, nurses who work at agencies that, you know, may have some gaps in knowledge. I know that nurses have been brought in with less and less experience just because of the demand. So those are some of the facts. Too. That's, that's exactly what I was sensing. Um, not, not necessarily. Some of them are, are just young, and you can tell that you know they haven't been out there that long. But um, uh, I, I had a, a, an instinct that that's what I was uh, 
experiencing. I, I'm, and I'm not saying that uh, all of the people that I've been interacting with haven't been trying to do their best to help the patients. Um, but I think that one of the areas in particular, and as you said, maybe there's some other association folks that I should talk with. I plan to do more interviews on this. Um, you're kind of opening the door for me, and then I'm going to see where I go from here. But um, one of the things that uh, it, it just seemed to me that I was dealing with is that I, I don't really understand what skilled nursing means. And, um, and the facility is kind of, it's a mix. There's part of the building has, I think, more long-term care where it's people who are literally just too old and to be at home alone. And then there's um, people like my husband who are in there because he has to have no weight bearing for quite a while. But um, that, that's why he's in there. So um, I, I just, you know, I guess one of the things that it's important I think for me to understand, and I, I have a feeling that other people in my audience are concerned about this is, you know, how do we work with, with, with staff and, and um, contract people in an optimal way for, uh, on behalf of our, our um, loved ones? And so I'm the kind of a person who, Quite honestly, I, I make a joke too often, and my husband is tired of hearing it. But I say, I'm, you know, when people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from the South, and then I pause, and then I say Bronx, you know. And people yeah. from the Bronx, we kind of have a reputation for being a little bit outspoken and tough, because you know you kind of have to fight for what you want in life. If you come out of the Bronx, it's kind of like coming out of the Ninth Ward, or you know, um, Irish Channel or wherever it's, you know, you're coming with less resources and you have to really um, be very intentional about how you're going to shape your life. So I, uh, if somebody treats me well, I treat them well. But if, if I get somebody who's kind of like, why are you bothering me kind of attitude, right. you know, yeah. and, and, and people at the nursing station can be that way because the other thing I've noticed is they have a lot of paperwork, it seems. Even when I was at Truro Hospital, there's like a whole, the nurse's desk is not a desk. It was like a whole area with about, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people. And every one of them was at a computer every time I was out there looking at, you know, can I get this or that? And, and so I feel like in addition to a shortage and this issue of contract people, there's also a lot of bureaucratic requirements that are intruding on uh, their ability to relate to their patients as people, as opposed to just like, you know, get the meds, get them in and out of bed, clean them up, you know, but instead of sort of building a relationship and my husband and I are both the kind of people who build relationships. so. But if I get off on the wrong track with a nurse, it's hard to get back on a good track. So that's what I was trying to figure out in a way is what's going on? What are they dealing with? What are they up against? And how can I, instead of, you know, getting um, teed off from being treated like a, a, a nuisance, um, how do I turn that out? And I mean, you know, there's the obvious answer of just trying to be nice, despite how they, they may initially act. But um, 
I don't know. I just kind of feel like you might be able to tell me some uh, secret strategies about um, how, how to deal with the situation. Um, well, it kind of seems like a, you know, a, a multiple situations that you're describing. I think the first, if there's someone who, you know, is approaching the, your, your family member's care and you don't feel comfortable with their um, demeanor or behaviors, I, you know, you are completely within your right to say something and, and you know, ask if there's a, a problem or concern or, you know, ask them a little more about their day. <clears throat> it's quite possible that they have um, many things going on, but, you know, every patient deserves our very best, our compassion, our empathy. And so I find it, you know, very special that you're asking how, I mean, you're having empathy for the nurse and, you know, trying to understand what are they experiencing? What are they up against? <clears throat> I would say that over the past couple of years, nurses have been up against some of the hardest times that we've experienced in healthcare with really? the shortage and well absolutely with the shortage and then also um, with, with the amount of uh, hardship that people experience personally and professionally with the pandemic you know their own personal losses um, you know having lost parents or uh, you know grandparents well, or other other loved ones to the pandemic, to COVID, and even colleagues, I think that's really cast a pall over, you know, a lot of people's experiences. We know that there are nurses who are experiencing symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder uh, still. And so beyond that, I would say, you know, there are other aspects of the work environment that can be really troubling as well. And, you know, I know that working with certain patient populations, especially, um, you know, if you see a lot of loss, that can also be really difficult and can impact healthcare workers in, in a really profound way, you know, where they start to kind of lose their joy in, in their profession and feel, you know, just a lot of distress maybe even moral distress because they can't do all the things they wish they could for their patients, um, maybe due to staffing shortages or uh, the other, you know, any, any kind of other, you know, impacts on them, maybe more complex patients. We know that patients have gotten sicker and sicker over the past few decades um, than what they used to be in the hospital, you know, oh, even when I began mm -hmm. nursing. And so the complexity of the care can be, daunting for some and you know the amount of work that is required to provide care to those patients can also be overwhelming if you don't have enough resources to provide the very best care that you wish to provide as it relates to the documentation i think that's a really interesting uh, perspective you know a lot of what is on the computer it is documentation but it is also communication with physicians communication with other people in the in the healthcare network and just trying to understand trends or going back and you know you notice something's going on in your patient so you start to go back and see what was happening over the last few days with this person has has anyone noticed this finding or behavior so some of it is, is just really detective work and I think that the electronic health record has really helped us in a lot of ways but then 
not very skilled in kind of making sure that we're making eye contact with our patients but we're doing the documentation if we're doing it in a room that can that can be a little tricky as well because it feels like maybe a separation uh, and not a connection yeah so, yeah I, I i know for many of the things that the electronic health records are able to do today and even some of the uh, predictive analytics analytics is actually amazing uh, the lives that have been saved through uh, the artificial intelligence that's built into some of these systems that provide warning to the nurses um, best practice advisories and different kinds of uh, signaling that something needs to be done for a patient that maybe wasn't perceived with the eyes but the the data and the computer put this computer put it together and recognized that perhaps the patient's heart rate has been going up and their heart and their blood pressure has been dropping over the past several days. Well, That's so normal. interesting. That's so interesting <laughs> to me because he was he was actually my, my husband seems to be healthier than most people despite his age and and his underlying disease at 85 with MS, he's still getting around and working and and engaged yeah. making art and so on. However, um, when when something hits, it hits hard. He had a case of cellulitis that uh, oh dear. Yeah. Uh, that moved into um, sepsis very quickly oh. one evening uh, when yeah. the the doctor was telling me to come in the next day, and I realized, oh no, that's that's not going to work. And we go to the emergency room. He was in the hospital, and the first day it wasn't noticed, but the second day. By the end of the day, um, a nurse in the evening noticed in the records that his blood pressure had been dropping and had yeah. reached a sort of precipitously low level. And so a whole different protocol started. You know, they started doing um, uh, um, infusions, I guess you would call it. Yeah, um, fluid, yeah they, the fluid hydrate, they, you know, hydrate, overhydrate, or provide lots of fluid resuscitation is what they call it. What's it called? Fluid resuscitation. resuscitation. Yeah, and he just had that again uh, when he was in when he first entered the hospital. This time he, and to the point where the fluids apparently caused a drop in his hemoglobin. So it's it is it's complicated. And and what yeah. you say is the technology is kind of ferreting out these complications more so than um, uh, it, it was available, the information was available to the nurses in the past. So I guess what we're dealing with is a kind of improvement in the sense of information, but that can also be an added challenge to nurses in handling that in addition to the kind of rudiments of, of patient care. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, again, what we're finding is that while the actual nurses are not in, uh, abundantly supplied right now. Many facilities are looking at using ancillary staff to fill in those gaps and kind of find things that nurses don't, that kind of offloading some of the non-nursing duties to other staff. So things that nurses don't have to do that another trained person professional could do. Uh, and yet at the same time, the other thing that the counter tra tra track is that I feel as if the doctors are offloading more work on the nurses. So it seems lately, 
<laughs> that when I want to talk to the doctor, the doctor's not available to talk to me. I have to talk to the nurse. So the nurse is having to explain to me <clears throat> what was learned from certain tests, for example. You know, now when information is available on your um, on your uh, portal and you look at it, you know, recently I had a, a, a sonogram and um, the result came back that I had um, a quote, severe aortic, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, like, you know, uh, you what? Stenosis? Stenosis? Right. And I said, whoa, what's that? And so I'm trying to get to the doctor to be told, what does that mean? And I could never get him on the phone. But I, the oh. nurse was trying to explain to me what it means. And I, I said, okay, I'm kind of, uh, you know, you know, appreciative that she was making herself available. But at the uh, same time, I kind of felt like, was she really the person who has the depth of understanding of the diagnosis and the and the and the um, predictions of what I needed to do that the doctor has? So she, in addition to maybe uh, dropping down some of her rudimentary um, work to, let's say, nurses' aides, but she's also picking up duties that would normally be handled by the doctors. Is that right? Right. Well, I think that you know the. The, the dynamic between the health team has, has shifted greatly, and I think that while the physicians are focused on the on the medical aspects of diagnosis, treatment, and um, and treatment plan as it relates to the, the medical diagnosis, the nurses are the ones who spend the most time teaching patients about their diagnoses, teaching patients uh, about what to expect with their diagnoses, and um, you know what it is that they'll need to to know before they leave home, so that they can take care of themselves once they leave. That that kind of planning really starts right when the person's admitted. You know that as soon as they have information, we're communicating that to the patients and the family members. But again, that's a registered nurse that would be able to do it. A licensed practical nurse is not uh, as much in the position to do that type of education because their training is different. Whereas a, a nurse practitioner, who is another type of nurse, an advanced practice nurse, is a is a provider. So they would also be very much like the physician, able to focus on the treatment plan for the medical diagnosis. They can prescribe medications, and they can, um, you know, perform certain procedures that a registered nurse can't. So I think it really depends on, you know, what is the who is it that's taking care of us? And it's funny because a lot of people will, you know, say that, and, and we, we kind of laugh about it sometimes and say, well, people said the nurse came in. Well, who was it? Was it the respiratory? Right. Now, you see, here's what I'm going to say. So, Eco, is that how you pronounce your name, Eco? How do you, how do you pronounce your first name? So that, that to me means this, I feel like you, when you walk into that, your war, the ward where your, your loved one is, uh, you don't understand these permutations that you're speaking of. I mean, you can kind of get a grip on it, especially if you're dealing with a longer period of time, but it, it is something of a mystery. 
it seems to me like a handout that simply explains your nurse's aide is going to help you with this, this, and this. Your nurse is the person you need to call for this, this, and this. Uh, this is how it works. Would help people understand better and not, you know, drive a, a nurse's aide crazy asking questions that the nurse needs to ask and vice versa. So I, I would recommend, you know, on a policy, I'm looking for the policy implications here. Yeah. Uh, well, most, most facilities do have something like that. And, and in addition, they should also have a whiteboard where they write every day, who is on your care team? You know, so who is the physician? What is their number? Who is your nurse? Who is uh, your? They don't. They don't, uh, they don't have that in in this uh, the facility that he's in now. I, he, they did have that at, at Turo, the hospital. But I think a handout <clears throat> that just literally explains categorically what the nurses yeah. aides do, what the nurses do, what the doctors do, and uh, and even like the physical therapy. Physical therapy is a big part of his care. And I, I'll be honest with you, I, I probably drove some of the staff crazy because when we first came in they wanted to use a sling to move my husband onto a chair and the first time he was moved I don't know how he was moved but they got it my husband described it as being dropped into the chair and his right leg being in a in a 45 degree angle which was not what it was supposed to be it needed to be straight and he had excruciating pain, and then he was left in that wheelchair for too long. So, you know, again, and, and he didn't know, and, and nor did he necessarily have easy access to the nurse's um, uh, bell or whatever you call it, you know, the, the, the button that sure. you call the nurse. So I, I basically told him he is not, I wrote a big note on a little piece of paper and put it under the lamp and said he is not to be moved from the bed at this time because he was just it was it, it wasn't done right in terms of the reason he's in there is to have uh, his his fractures heal and moving him in the wrong way was not going to help that so and, and and I don't know what the rules are about what a patient what a um, family member can say and 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 what a the staff can say can happen so i felt like i was definitely treading on a wrong protocol by saying you cannot move my husband right on the right. other there were, i had no choice because they just weren't moving him right so that was a, a real pickle for me of how to do that and and ultimately as i say i just yeah. i just I sat there and say stop you may not move him yeah, I think it's important to have that communication, you know, because we know that a lot of the orthopedic conditions require that people move as much as possible. And we know that we know that, you know, bed rest can actually create quite a number of problems for our patients, such as blood clots. That's yeah, sores, which are very dangerous. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's the that, other thing. Know, I, I noticed that he wasn't getting shifted a lot because again, he was so nervous about the pain that he this one leg was was um having constant um i forget what you call it, cramping and the cramping was very painful it was just happening like every 10 minutes they finally got him on a drug that had actually been prescribed for him previously by 
a neurologist, and when he got them on, got him on that drug, he could actually sleep because he wasn't even able to sleep through the night. Another issue yeah. is food. My, um, it happens. You want to go back to that, uh, the, you know, your concerns. So I think it's really important that you know when you have individual concerns about your loved one's care that you escalate those concerns and you can start with the nurse, but then you can escalate it to the the supervisor or manager for that unit, then you can certainly escalate it to a patient advocate because there are a lot of patient advocacy. Um, there's every organization has to have some kind of patient advocacy or ombudsman or someone who you would speak to to express your concerns to make sure that they're getting addressed real time. So I think that, you know, while we, of course, you know, would hope that conversations with the staff would, would, you know, remedy some of that or trying to open the door to understand that would really help, I think. Um, and I think that, you know, every person and every family member has the right to express concerns or certainly ask questions and try to understand, you know, what is the protocol and what is what is the reason for this and you know how does this benefit my loved one and and i'm somebody who who knows how to kind of work that that food chain so to speak so um i appreciate that and i think i'm glad my audience is hearing that too but um i i, I we're out of time but uh what i'd like to do Ikoi, is come back and do um a second interview with you and also perhaps have you recommend to me uh, the other area that I need to explore going forward is home care. So um, at some point, I think that even if it's a little bit before, maybe the doctors would prefer that he get out of um, there. I, I'm, I might be looking at, you know, how can I uh, uh, basically set up a home care uh, 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 approach. Now, the problem with home care is the financial aspect. It's very expensive. I certainly can't afford, um, you know, any kind of full-time uh, home care. So uh, I, I'd like to explore that. And you'll probably aim me at somebody, as you said, who's more of an expert in that. But um, I really yeah. appreciate being able to hear from your um, end of the um, of the uh, of the of the situation, your your um, universe that you and other nurses and um, who are out practicing are experiencing, and you're confirming my expectations uh, that there's a, a lot of challenges. Absolutely, but you know, again, regardless of what's happening in our healthcare climate, we really, you know, we're here to. Be our best and do our best for the people that we serve. That's why we do what we do. You know, we have been voted the most trusted profession. I think now maybe 20 plus years going. Um, and I think the one year that we didn't get the, the most trusted profession, it went to firefighters, and that was the year of 9/11. Uh, so it was well, well, well warranted. But we want to make sure that our patients and their families know exactly, you know, who to ask, that you are absolutely within your right to escalate your concerns and ask as many questions as possible. You know, asking questions is a really good thing. You deserve to understand 
everything that's happening to your body, everything that's going in it, in your body, everything that's coming out of your body and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and all the things that are happening to your body. So uh, I'm delighted to have been able to talk with you. And I thank you so much for considering uh, Louisiana State Nurses Association as your content expert. Uh, and I look forward to continuing our conversation. <clears throat> and please, anytime that there's an issue developing that you want the public to know about, um, uh, I'm open uh, uh, always to following up and, and, and uh, uh, tracking issues as they develop. So stay in touch, hold on to my phone number, and um, I look forward to uh, more conversation with you. And I will talk to you offline with recommendations on the home care story, but I'm definitely yes, yes. at the time. I'll probably have to edit a little thank bit. You. So <laughs> no gonna... worries, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You take care. All right, okay. you too. Bye.